Section 6 of Strangers at Lisconnel by Jane Barlow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 6. Thus there were many eager hopes and fears lodged that evening in the O'Byrne's living room, which was all throbbing with firelight, as the neighbors began to drop in talking out of the dark. People are apt to speak loudly when they get their breath after a battle with snowy blasts, and the sound of voices came strangely into the stillness close by, where there was only a cold glimmer of candlelight and nobody conversing, unless we count old Bridget O'Byrne, who had slipped in to repeat a few prayers and say to herself with a sort of grudging wistfulness that everybody else was getting away. Then she came back to her world again, and mended the crumbling red-hot bank with sods out of her apron, and shoveled up the snowballs shaken off their visitors' clogged brogues, that they might not melt into mud-patches on the floor. To Dan and Nicholas, looking on from opposite corners, it seemed a long while before anything to the purpose was said. Everybody had to comment upon the snow, and Paddy Ryan's remark was that if it kept on at it that away they'd be hard enough set to get through the drifts be the day of the burying. This caused Mrs. Carberry to remember how she had been at one up in County Cavan, where the gate into the burying ground was all blocked up so that the whole of them had to leap over what would be by rights a ten-foot wall, and if they did, the half of them plumped up to their necks in a soft place on the other side, and came as near losing their lives as could be thought. Bedad now, they were comical to behold, goodness forgive her for saying so, all bawling and floundering about like a flock of sheep stuck in a bog, only it was a white bog and black sheep, as she minded Tom Ennis, that was a queer codger, saying at the time, and this again started old O'Byrne upon reminiscences of remarkable buryings which had come under his own observation. Comical it may have been, he said, but I'll bet you me best brogues ne'er one of you's ever witnessed a queerer burying than a one I seen down in the south some old ages ago, when I was a slip of a lad. But I'll maybe ha' told you the story, ma'am, about the flood in the Tullero River. Was at the time it riz up sudden and drowned the creature that was digging the grave, said Mrs. Carberry. Sure, not at all. That happened up at Loch Gortrog, and this I'm talking about was in the Tullero River, a deal souther of the Loch. Outrageous it does be in the wet seasons. So one harvest day, when it was flowing over all before it, there was a walkin' funeral about crossin' at the ford. The way of it was they were after hangin' a lad up at the jail. In those days it's very ready they were wit to hangin', and in a hurry over it too sometimes. However, the friends of this lad had got leave to be buryin' him decent after he would be hanged, and me poor father and meself and plenty of other people were followin' till they come to the ford. And when they seen the manor the water was runnin' wild, the bearers had a notion to be turning back, but they made up their minds, and on they went. And as sure as they did, one of the lads must needs slip his foot, 
and they write in the middle of the river, and down with the whole lot of them, like a stook of oats in a gale of wind. Twas twenty wonders e'er a man of them ever got his feet under him again. Fay, now the yell every soul let you might a heard anywheres at all. For some of them was thinkin' the misfortune of body was apt to be swept away and mortally drowned to the back of bein' hung, and some of them wasn't thinkin' any such a thing. But as for the coffin, I'll give you me word, if it didn't take and set off wid itself floatin' away bobbin' along atop of the water as light now as if it was a leaf dropped down from the boughs archin' over our heads, and wasn't that curious enough and as quare as anything it was to behold the people all peltin' along be the two wet banks of the river as hard as they could drive and trippin' themselves up over the roots of the trees and slitherin' into the pools wid the coffin just skimmin' and swimmin' away down the stream ahead of them and easy and pleasant as if it was a bit of pecan you might a sworn there was ne'er a nothin' in it to look at it and he they were after hangin' a big fine man would weigh every ounce a fourteen stone. I told you it was a queer thing. So where it would be sailing to, nobody could say. Very belike out into the bay below. But sure, when it come where the river runs past the old church, the strong current that was racing under it just gave a sort of lap round with it, and washed it clean up on the flat stones at the gate going into the burying ground, and left it lying there same as if the lads had set it down off their shoulders bedad now it was a very lucky thing it so happened there was none of the police or red coats about be reason of their getting notice the burying was somewhere else uncommon lucky it's as queer as the rest of it said peter dooley who had heard the story before that nobody among them had had the wit to put a few brickbats in it or some good big lumps of heavy stones Stones is plenty and cheap enough. They're things you haven't the sellin' of, then, I'll go bail, said old Felix. He spoke in resentment of the interruption, but Mr. Dooley took the speech as a flattering tribute to his business capacity and acknowledged it with a good-humoured smirk. So Bridget might have spared herself the uneasiness which made her say hurriedly to her brother, if you were lookin' for Mr. Polymather's bit of writin', Felix, I left it lyin' convenient to you under the plate there on the table. Oh, I be dad, that's what's been botherin' me, said the old man, reachin' for it. I dunno rightly what to say to it. But sure any of yous that like can be readin' it, and see what he says for yourselves. Reading was not a question simply of liking with all members of the company, but everybody could hold the paper and look wise, and if he were none the more so afterwards, that may have been only because he knew the contents of it beforehand. When it was Peter Dooley's turn to examine the signature closely, and said, But what name's this he's put to it? John Campion, I see, but devil a sign of any polymathers. Ah, that was another thing was bothering me too, said old O'Byrne rather dejectedly. A little while ago when dr hamilton was coming to see him for the old gentleman told him campion was his name and it appears polymathers is some description of trade and not rightly called to anybody at all so i was thinking he was maybe annoyed with our calling him out of his name all the while 
but he said all that ailed it was it was a dale too good for him and better pleased he seemed he would keep on wid it oh ay john campion's right enough i never heard of any such a trade as polymatherin said his son-in-law would it be anything in the peddlerin line is it peddlerin said o'beirne and he that took up wid learnin and literature he could a told you the price of a penny loaf fay man if i was maggie i'd just put a good dab of strong glue in your place behind the counter down below and stick you standin steady in it for buyin and sellin's all the notion you have in your head here or there peddlerin says he well at all events said peter dooley unperturbed he's got together a decent little fortune one way or the other maybe he didn't come by it any worser but sure that's no great odds now and plain enough he says the young chap's there to have it that's all the one thing wid yourself but anyhow i dunno who could easy contrive to be taking it off you and he leavin no one belongin to him and you have it safe enough grab all you can and keep a hold of it when you've got it says i but you're safe enough no fear nicholas watching his grandfather's face from his corner would have given ten years of his life to throttle his uncle's reassuring speech midway there's no mistake i should say about what he was intendin said terence kilfoyle in whose hands the paper was by this time and who'd be apt to know better than himself what he had in his mind so long as he was right in his head and if he wasn't it's little likely he'd be to have got that written hard enough work it is according to what i can see even when a body has all his wits to the fore said old paddy ryan whose acquaintances did as a rule get more out of breath over a letter than over a wrestling match or the recapture of an active pig mad people do be surprising cute some whiles mind you said mrs carbury there was a demented body used to be up at our place daft jimmy they called him and if you axed him the time of day he'd tell you to the minute exacter than any clock that ever struck and he be like not within a mile of era a one it seems a sight of money to be layin out on learnin pursued old paddy i dunno where'd you be gettin the valley of it that away unless he was learnin everything twixt over same as you put two coats of whitewash on a wall if you're after mixin a drop more than you want you might do it then his friend's arguments and illustrations had apparently a depressing effect upon old felix and he said with impatience weary on it man alive sure there's no doubt about what he was meanin at all at all the question is have we any call to be takin him at his word and spendin it away from aught to do him a benefit the buryin and masses and such that might be a different thing said mrs carbury i'd scarce think it said terence kilfoyle considerin he'll say no more to make it so the job's out of his hand and it'll stay the way he left it he might have changed his mind afore now for anything we can tell said mrs carbury deed then he might so the poor man heaven be his bed said mrs dooley 
you could ax the priest about it timomira said diffidently out of the melancholy muteness which it was his habit to maintain that's as much as to say it should go for masses said old felix clutching at any shred of definite opinion for it's only in the nature of things his reverence would be recommending them but tim shrank away from the shadow of responsibility protesting och not at all not at all i wasn't as much as saying anything the old man tossed up his chin disgustedly and meditated gloomily during a brief pause there's no denying he said then that poor mr polymathers had a wonderful great opinion of himself over there he nodded towards nicholas's corner and used this periphrasis with a sense that he had taken a precaution against perilously arousing the boy's vanity times and again last summer he was saying to me the lad'd do credit to us yet if he had his chances a pity it would be he said if he didn't ever get to school or maybe college itself and gave him his books and all but sure i don't know would that make it look any the better for us if we was to be grabbin his bit of money and we the only people he had to see he got ferrety after he was gone never a word had i again schoolin and college if there would be no doubtin over the matter but there's some things you can't stand too clear of like the heels of a kickin horse it might have a queer bad appearance real mean and long sorry i'd be for that what did you say now he looked slowly round the flickering room but met with no response from old or young all silent from his mother asleep in her elbow-chair by the hearth to his grandson nicholas very wide awake in a nook beyond her then his eyes travelled across to the opposite corner and as they lit there upon his other grandson he specialized his question into what did you say dan dan thus abruptly called upon was intensely conscious that two eyes shining out of the shadow over against him had fixed him with an unwavering gaze and it is hard to say how he would have answered their urging if at the same moment mr dooley at his elbow had not been loudly whispering to mrs dooley colleges sure that's just talk he has be way of an excuse for keeping it a great notion he has of spending it on colleges he knows better be dad mr dooley who was rather like several sorts of rodent animals in the face wore a smile at his own penetration i don't know but it might look ugly dan said suddenly he was staring straight before him yet he knew somehow as if by a sixth sense that the shining eyes opposite ceased their watch with an angry flash and he had scarcely spoken before he would have given anything to call back his irrevocable speech his grandfather's puzzled will closed on the opinion with a vice-like grip as if at a touch given to a powerful spring indecision was with him an unwanted mood from which it was an irresistible relief to escape even at some cost and nobody who knew him could suppose that his mind once made up would alter begorra dan i believe it's true for you he said twould be no thing to go do and devil a bit of me'll do it whatever over from the burying and bit of gravestone may go for masses sore a penny of it one 
of the O'Burns touch. So Nicholas lost his chances, which seems a pity when one considers how, for the sake of bringing them to him, old Mr. Polymathers, dazed and enfeebled and hope bereft, came tramping on that long, long journey, day after weary day, under the scowling wintry sky and against the ruffling blasts, back again across the breadth of Ireland. The road was all strewn for him with the wreckage of his shattered dream, and the one gleam of consolation that lighted him on the way had been the thought that his savings might now give a help to the lad up at Lisconnel. This had often been in his mind when he set off, shivering in the bleak morning, and when he stopped to shift his over-heavy bundle, and when he roused himself painfully from the bewildering lethargies that fell upon him. But he had reckoned without the pride of the O'Burns. It was a pity, too, that the affair should have led to an estrangement between the two brothers, which set in as tacitly as a black frost, for neither of them ever said a word to the other about Dan's intervention. This silence left him in the thorny grip of misgivings as to the motives with which Nicholas might be charging him. That he had done it on purpose to spoil Nicholas's chances out of spite was one of these, and although Dan knew very well that he had spoken from an altogether different impulse, he was conscious of having had feelings which seemed to give him a cruelly clear insight into the possible workings of Nicholas's mind. Conceitin' that it was because I was envying him, that's what he's thinking again me, he said to himself as the days went by, and he perceived, or fancied, that Nicholas in his disconsolate moping about had no other aim than to keep away from wherever Dan might be. But Dan's unhappiness took an acuter phase in a fortnight or so, when Nicholas began to resume his mathematical studies. There lies just opposite the O'Burn's front door a low turf bank, gently sloping, and mostly clothed with short, fine grass, but liable to be cut into brown squares if sods are wanting for roofing a shed or for spreading a green layer of scraws under new thatch. This had been done on a rather large scale in the past autumn, and the boys had been in the habit of utilizing the smooth, bare patches as tablets whereon to trace with pointed sticks or any handy implements borrowed from the forge, the figures and diagrams according in Mr. Polymathers's scientific lectures. Nicholas now, albeit he had buried both teacher and hope, began once more to draw his circles and triangles and polygons on the soft mould, as it grew damply and darkly through the wearing snow coverlid. Sometimes in the excitement of demonstrating involved relations between ABs and BCs, he would for a while forget his disappointment almost as completely as he did the wet-winged winds that had been flapping and wheeling about the house ever since the thaw set in. His obliviousness could not, however, ensure him against the effects of cold shower-baths, and before long his geometrical drawing was done to the accompaniment of a hollow-sounding cough, which made Dan remember a time some years ago when Nicholas had been so seriously ill with 
pleurisy that voices had said at their door ah the creature he'll scarce last a night dr hamilton has no opinion of him at all deed now his poor grandfather's to be pity losing such a fine young lad and he also remembered having occasionally heard his great aunt say that nicholas took after his poor mother and would never comb a grey head now therefore the figure of nicholas sitting out on the bank in a vibrating mist of rain with his feet in a puddle and his hair flickering in damp strands upon his thin face became for dan an ominous and saddening spectacle but while he was ruefully contemplating it one day a happy idea struck him he would get nicholas some clean white paper to draw his diagrams on and then belike he'd be content to sit in be the fire instead of to be catching his death scrawnin' out there in the mud under teams of rain grand writing paper was to be had at isaac tarpey's down in ballybrosna and dan at this time happened to be in possession of a whole shilling which he dedicated more than willingly to the purchase isaac tarpey presided over the ballybrosna post office which was in some respects a singularly complete establishment as not only was the raw material for a letter kept in stock there but the letter itself could for a consideration be written on the premises by the postmaster in person it is true that isaac did not supply more than the barest necessities of scribes the bread and water so to speak of stationery the very plainest pens and paper and ink he kept his ink in a single moderate size jar out of which he measured pennies worth and hapworths into the various receptacles brought by customers who came to demand a sup or a drain on these sales his profits were certainly enormous not less than cent per cent but then the consumption of that article was extremely small in bellybrosna it took a long while to reach the sediment at the bottom of the jar and isaac's letter-writing done at the rate of threepence apiece probably was a more lucrative branch of his business though the correspondence of the town was not large enough to put his services in frequent requisition partly on this account and partly because he was by nature a strong conservative mr tarpey set his face sternly against the spread of education he was distressed by the appearance of any symptoms of it among the neighbouring youth even when it took the form of an inquiry for his limp paper and skewer-like pens in fact the diffusion of penmanship was what he most seriously deprecated and discountenanced the lord knows his main argument ran the foolery them spalpeens'll be gabbin promiscuous would sicken you without giving them the chance to be sitting down easy and inventing it his wife once suggested that the creatures might be more sensible like when they were taking time to consider themselves but isaac said pigs may fly at the time when dan came for his paper the office was occupied by nora fotrell engaged in dictating a letter to her sweetheart stevie flynn away in manchester the composition still looked discouragingly brief despite isaac's big flourishing hand yet nora's ideas had already run so short that she was staring in quest of more up among the cobwebby rafters over her head 
you might say said she after a pause that i hope he's gettin his health where he is i've said that twist before isaac objected severely och murder have you said nora reverting to the rafters with a distracted gaze couldn't you tell him the price your father got for the last beast he sold said isaac bedad i might so said nora twas only thirty shillin but it'd take up a good bit of room and look a mr tarpey couldn't we leave the rest of the page clean as like as not the bastoon wouldn't be botherin his head spellin out the half of it the adoption of this course expedited nora's love-letter to a happy close but when dan took her place at the counter isaac assured him not without satisfaction that they were clever and clean run out of all their writing paper barrin it might be a sort of butt end of loose sheets left litterin at the bottom of the drawer and they that thick with dust you could be plantin potatoes in them for by gettin mildewed lyin up in the damp so long it was not so much compunction at dan's disappointed countenance as an irresistible hankering after a good bargain that ultimately led the postmaster to sweep his uninviting remnant together and fix upon it the price of sixpence the charge was exorbitant considering the small quantity and damaged state of the goods yet dan carried off his little packet quite contentedly announcing that he would step over again for another sixpennyworth next week when as isaac reluctantly admitted a fresh supply of stationery would have arrived as dan left the office he passed an unknown gentleman tall with a shrewd sallow face dark peaked beard and alert grey eyes who had been leaning against the door while the bargain was struck the stranger was mr alfred b willett of new york a wealthy engineer who on his way home from europe had been visiting his friend dr hamilton of ballybrosna his curiosity now was roused by dan's evident eagerness to acquire materials for the drawing of diagrams the pursuit striking him as so strangely incongruous with the aspect of the brown-faced stalwart ragged youth that he stepped inside when the place was empty to make inquiries on the subject the postmaster's information was to the effect that the o'burns above at the forge had always had the name of being very decent respectable people up to then and he never before seen any of the young ones settin themselves up to be askin after such things he hoped it mightn't be a sign that the old man was goin foolish and let the lads get past his control but sure enough we must all of us put up with growin good for nothin some time unless we happen to have never been worth anything to begin with and he wished he had a penny paid him for every one of that sort he'd met in the course of his life the cynical disquisition was not very enlightening however next week when dan slipped over again for his second sixpennyworth mr willard it chanced was there too having called to report on the excessive thickness and other undesirable peculiarities of some ink lately supplied to him it had been in fact composed of the sediment artfully diluted with a drop of vinegar but isaac tarpey said it was thick with the strength was in it and set about uncorking his fresh jar with an affronted air 
when his customer persisted in pointing out that its adhesive properties were less valuable in ink than in glue meanwhile mr willett fell into a conversation with dan which ended in his engaging the lad to accompany him as guide on a shooting expedition next day the arrangement turned out satisfactorily and was repeated more than once with the consequence that dan and the stranger talked about many things in the course of several long tramps until one evening the latter sitting on a stone wall after a steep pull uphill made dan an offer which caused the most familiar objects to seem unreal because a marvellous dream was coming true among them for mr willett proposed to take dan home with him and have him taught whatever he most wished to learn you're a smart lad dan he said and i reckon you'll make more of that in the states than in this country ah the doctrine said dan turning as red as the young sorrel leaves and letting his darling wish slip out in his surprise as involuntarily as he would have blinked at a flash of lightning but next moment he remembered nicholas and fell silent nicholas who had not looked him in the face since that snowy evening weeks ago the dream seemed to stop coming true there's no need to make up your mind in a hurry said mr willett you can be thinking it over between this and monday dan did think it over deeply that night and the next day and the day after he thought how fine it rather fearful it would be to go on such a journey and what a splendid thing to learn the doctor in business and some day come home again able to cure everybody of anything that ailed them for out in the states like enough they had all manner of contrivances the people over here had never taught but dr hamilton whose skill was occasionally baffled he imagined the neighbor's surprise when he came driving up on his car if possible he would be driving a little blue roan mare like farmer finacoon's rosemary with whom he had made friends in the course of many shoeings he thought he would be sorry to miss seeing them all for so long and yet it would certainly be very pleasant in a way to get to a place where things were a bit different sometimes not like here where when you were getting up in the morning you knew what was bound to be happening all day just as well as you did when you were going to bed that night and next he thought that such days would be coming to nicholas while he himself was away seeing and learning all manner of everything and that if he had held his tongue that time maybe nicholas would have got his chance with mr polymathers's money instead of its all being spent away on nothing and he thought that it wasn't his fault for what else could he say when he was asked all of a minute except the first thing that came into his head and he wondered how it would be if anything happened to his grandfather nicholas wasn't overstrong and too young altogether besides and then he thought again that mr willett was cleverer than anybody he had ever seen and more good-natured it was a pleasure to go about with him and people were great fools to give up their chances maybe nicholas might get another some day and maybe mr polymathers had been mistaken in thinking that he was the one best worth teaching all these things dan thought and the result of his cogitations was that on the monday he stole a sheaf of nicholas's most complicated cobweb-like diagrams from their hiding-place in the wall 
brought them with him when he went by appointment to meet his patron off beyond Knockfinney. And when Mr. Willett said to him, Well, Dan, what about the states and the doctrine? He replied inconsequently by holding out the sheets of paper with the explanation. It's me brother Nicholas, sir, does be doing these mostly out of his own head. Mr. Willett looked at them for some minutes with interested ejaculations. Upon my word, he then said, if these were done out of his own head, he must have about as much mathematics located in it by nature as a spider. Aren't they good for anything at all, then, sir, said Dan, not knowing exactly what he hoped and feared. Good? They're astonishing, said Mr. Willett. He asked some questions about Nicholas's age, schooling, and so forth, after which he said, "'You must take me to see this brother of yours, Dan. I expect he'll have got to come right along with us.' But Dan stared round and round the spacious brown-purple floor they were standing on, and after a far-off flight of wild fowl, and up at the sky, where the clouds travel without let or hindrance, before he answered hesitatingly the two of us couldn't ever both go sir how could we be leaving the forge and all on me old grandfather and nicholas never makes any great hand of the work ah is that the way the land lies said mr willett as if half impatient and half amused but not best pleased he looked hard at dan and thought he saw how matters stood You've no mind to leave the old grandfather and the rest of the concern, but do you think it would be more in the other lad's line? As a matter of fact, Dan was at that particular moment feeling strongly how easily he could have reconciled himself to the separation, and how entirely it would be the making of him to do so. But he did not gainsay Mr. Willett's statement. To himself he said, He's a right to have his chances, and the one of us is bound to stop in it, a mode of expressing his sentiments, which showed that he had much need of culture, and aloud, Nicholas always had a powerful wish to be getting some learning, and I'm a fool to him, at the geometry anyway. The upshot of it all was that when, some six weeks later, Mr. Alfred B. Willett sailed for New York, Nicholas O'Byrne accompanied him, and Dan O'Byrne remained at Lisconnel. It was on a gleamful April day that they set out, with soft gusts roaming all around, as if they had come from very far off, and were eagerly exploring the strange places, and many light clouds flitting up swiftly above, as if they had a long journey before them, and were in a joyous flurry over it. Dan spent the slow-paced hours in the forge, where he hammered loud and long, and seldom looked across the threshold. The pleasantest thought in his mind was the remembrance of a short conversation which he had had with Nicholas while they were tying up Mr. Polymathers's old books at the kitchen door, just as the grey chink in the east filled with rose light and the earliest breeze came over the bog waving the withered grasses dan had said to nicholas sure i wouldn't be grudging you e'er a bit of good luck lad and nicholas had replied and never did after nicholas's departure many days bad and good rose on lisconnel 
but few of them brought any tidings of the absent letters passed now and then laggard and uninstructive as such letters must be and they grew rarer and briefer as time went on perhaps a dozen years had gone by when dan one day received simultaneously an american newspaper and a parcel the newspaper was marked with large blue chalk crosses at a paragraph which related how the degree of doctor of science had been conferred honoris causa upon mr nicholas o'byrne by the university of sarabraxville and in the parcel more astonishing still was a brown covered book lettered on the back treatise on conic sections by nicholas o'byrne by this time dan had been left alone at the forge but he was courting mary ryan mick ryan's daughter so he naturally conveyed to her this remarkable news it produced a profound impression old patty her grandfather was with difficulty brought to realize the fact that they were after making a doctor of young nicholas o'byrne him that went out to the states the year before the famine and when he had got the idea into his head it seemed to act like a swivel joint and set him nodding to the tune of well to be sure glory be to god young nicholas o'byrne i wish to goodness he'd come over and cure mick poor man said mick's wife for he hasn't been worth pickin' up off the road ever since he was bad with the fever last year and he might as well be drinkin' so much ditch water as the old stuff dr carson's given him ah but it's not the medical doctrine nicholas has gone to said dan the shadow of a shadow crossing his face there'd be different letters for that and he proceeded to read out the report of the degree conferred honoris causa upon the distinguished young irishman mr nicholas o'byrne whose recent contributions to the study of the higher mathematics had aroused so much interest in scientific circles ay true for you dan said mary you don't hear them callin dr carson an honorary causey dan's shred of latin had grown rustier than the oldest iron in his stock but was not yet utterly worn away the meaning of that he explained would be be reason of honour and i should suppose they'd give it to him for the sake of what all he's after doin bedad then dan said mrs mick some one had a right to be given you an honorary cowsy yourself considering the cure you have to make it on mr finnecoon's old mare and everybody of the opinion she'd never stand on four feet again to the age's end och blathers ma'am dan said modestly sure anybody with the sight of their eyes might easy enough had seen what ailed the creature that was no great comether and look at what nicholas is after doin he wrote a book no less the treatise on conic sections created an even stronger sensation than the news of the honorary degree especially among those who had letters enough to spell out the familiar name on the title page dan's mary was not one of these scholars but she found another page to admire saying that the circles drew in and out of each other like a lot of soap bubbles 
had an uncommon tasty look and so had all them weedy corners with the long beams between the moral of a chain harrow you couldn't mistake it sure it's proud of it anybody might be probably nicholas was very proud of this first air of his invention diagrams and all whether it ever had any successors seems doubtful certainly none of them arrived at his old home but his treatise is still safely stowed away there in the corner of the dresser most likely it is the only copy of o'burn on conic sections existing in ireland and who would expect to find it lodged in a smoke-stained cabin on the wild bogland between Duffclane and Lisconnel. Chapter 9. Boys' Wages One leaden-roofed morning in the winter after his brother Nicholas had gone to the States, young Dan O'Byrne was in rather low spirits and rather out of humour. It was not unnatural that such a mood should occasionally overtake him, since he had reached apparently a straight and monotonous track of road, which would have looked interminable to the eyes of seventeen, had not his household companions been now all declining folk, whose presence brought under his constant observation the last stages of a long journey in December gone. Half a century or so of smithy work, even with some unlicensed doctoring and illicit distilling thrown in, was not by any means the future that he would have liked his oracle to predict for him. And though he forecast it accurately enough without the intervention of any soothsaying, this no more helped him to avoid it than if he had been an old-world tragical hero, whose friends were seeking by vain device to circumvent the promulgated decrees of his destiny. Dan, indeed, took no steps of that sort. For him, as for most of us, the skirts of circumstances were as the meshes of the net in which fate holds us, and his evil star was an object of which it seemed very hard to get a good grip. I have always wondered myself how people set about it. At any rate, Dan continued to walk under his, that is to say, if it were really bad luck that kept him at the forge. Upon this point there might be differences of opinion. Terence Kilfoyle, for instance, who dropped in to escape from a snow-shower in the course of that morning, would not evidently have taken such a view, for when Dan said something grumblingly about Lisconnel being a slack sort of a place where one didn't get much chance of doing anything at all, he replied, Bedad now, if I'd the fine business you and your grandfather have to be put in me hand to, I wouldn't call the queen me aunt. In those times the district around our bogland was more thickly inhabited than it is at present, and the blacksmith's jobs were proportionately plentier. Nowadays the forge is liable to long spells of silence, but Dan, who as young Dan has been superseded, philosophizes over them and talks no more about chances. On this occasion his remarks were overheard by his grandfather, perhaps because the old man had begun to have thoughts of chances 
which made him sensitive to signs of discontent in his assistant. And by and by, when Terence had gone, he said, Terence said a very sensible word. A lad might easy get a worse start in life, aye, indeed he might so, if it was twist as slack. But anyhow, there's them here that'd be hard set to make a shift for themselves if the two of us was out of it and i'm apt to be quittin before biddy at all events to which dan replied why what talk was there of quittin and the subject ceased out of the conversation during the subsequent silence dan thought among other things that it was easy for his grandfather to be talkin but in this he made a mistake for old o'burn remembered vividly that he had once had his own restless ambitions and his chances too of realizing them in times when he did more stirring things than merely forge pikeheads. Therefore he guessed what lent an unnecessary vehemence to his grandson's hammering, and if he could have thought of any consolatory remark, he would have made it. But it only occurred to him to say that the days would soon be lengthened now anyway, and even to himself this seemed cold comfort. Dan replied, Och, they're plenty long enough and sent a thick swarm of fiery bees flitting up the dark-throated chimney. That evening, when Dan closed the broad-leafed forge doors, he shut himself out into a world as black and white as moonlight on turf and snow could make it. Though the morning's flutter of snow had left but a meagre sprinkling on that great bogland, the moonbeams touching every scattered flake seemed to gather it all up widely in one stark spectral gleam far away towards the horizon this doled off into a shadowy zone of mist where the wind was muttering and moaning to itself dimly heard across the hushed floor of the night beyond that dan was aware wistfully of regions unknown with all their possibilities fascinating and mysterious but he had small scope for speculation about what he should find when he opened the house-door fast by. And, in fact, he discovered everything and everybody just as he could have foretold. The fire-lit room was filled with the busy weaving of the web that ruddy gleams and russet shadows never got finished. Swiftly as they glanced, and overhead the black spaces between the rafters gloomed down like inlets of a starless sky. There sat his great-grandmother, smoking her dudeen in her nook by the hearth and her big cloak, a very little of wizened old woman to a great many heavy dark blue folds. There too knitted her grey-haired daughter Bridget, who said, as she did every evening well dan so you're come in and would have not much more to say for herself that night except the rosary and his grandfather who had come in just before him was lighting his pipe in the opposite chimney corner a year ago his brother nicholas would have thrust a head all eyes and rumpled hair into a patch of bright flickerings to pour over the tattered arithmetic book, but by this time his absence had become a matter of course. The only at all unusual feature was Joe Denny, 
the blind fiddler who had called in on his way home and had a drop of poteen and a farrel of wholemeal cake yet joe was indeed a tolerably common incident and his jokes altered not he had begun his parting one which was to the effect that sorra a man in the country of connaught could see clearer than himself if the night was dark enough when dan's arrival interrupted him and made him declare taking out his fiddle that twould be a poor case if the lad didn't get air a tune at all dan was not much in the humour for tunes but he said ay joe give us a one man alive and joe struck up with twangle and squeak he was playing over the hills and far away over the hills and beyond the sea over the hills and a great way off and the wind it blew when a shuddering knock on the door seemed to beat down the shriller sounds and stop the sliding bow dan went to see who it was and found standing on the threshold a tall lean old man in a long ragged coat with a thick knotted blackthorn in his hand a few hard frozen granules pattered in at the open door which admitted a glimpse of the moon tarnished by a thin drift of scudding cloud god save all here said the old man who was a stranger good evening to you kindly sir responded old felix from his fireside corner and wouldn't you be steppin within i'm only axin me way to the place below there ballybrosna beyond duffclane said the old man it's the road i must be steppin for i'm more than a trifle late but he came slowly forward into the room as if lured by the fire at which he looked hungrily he stooped and limped very much and when he tore off his black caubine the sharp gleam of his white hair seemed to comment coldly on those infirmities i'm within a mile or so of it or maybe less by now i should suppose he said faith then it's the long mile said the fiddler put half a dozen to it and you'll be nearer and bedad it's easier work doin that in your head than on your feet be the same token i must be leggin it or they'll concede i'm lost at our place and he stepped out darkly into the veiled moonlight with us through and weary on it the old man said to himself and then to the others is it that far as he says ay it is every inch said old o'beirne and too long a tramp for you altogether sir if i might make so free for the matter of that said the ragged old man proudly i've walked the double of it and more times and again without so much as considerin but your road's a bit heavy to-night wid the snow and cold that's the worst of the roads said the little old woman peering suddenly out of a corner the longer you walk them the longer they'll grow on you till you begin to think there's no end to them and after that the best contrivance is to keep off of them cliver and clean the way i do then there's no length at all ah ma'am but twouldn't be very handy if the young folk took to tryin that plan the old man said we're bound to keep steppin out a short silence followed this remark because the hearers felt uncertain 
whether he meant the pronoun for a jest. To evade the difficulty, old Ulburn bade Dan fetch a mug for a drop of poteen, and meanwhile said to the stranger, "'Sit you down, sir, and take a taste of the fire. Where might you be travellin' from this day?' "'I was livin' over in Innisloan,' said the old man, sitting down on a creepy stool. "'Musha, then, you didn't ever come that far all on ind, sure it's miles untold. "'Twas the day afore yesterday I quit. Last night I slept at Sullenberg, and this morning I met a man who loaned me a grand lift in his cart. "'I used to know a man lived in Innisloan,' said old O'Byrne. "'By the name of Brian English, he come by here of an odd while after the stuff.' I be dad, and a very decent old creature he was, meself's one of the Demrodies, young Christie they call me. But old Christie, that was me poor father's, dead this while back. Thank you kindly, lad, the man said to Dan, who now handed him a little deft mug half full of whisky. Why, you're nigh as long a fellow as meself. Are you good at the wrestling? Och, I'm no great things whatever, Dan replied with becoming modesty. "'There's not many heavyweights in the parish who'd care to stand up to me,' said this young Christie, holding the mug in a gaunt, tremulous hand. "'Fay, it's no ways, for I'd they'd been out about it since the time I come near breaking Rick Ty's neck. "'I've noticed that. Begora now, every soul thought I had him massacred,' he said, with a transient gleam of genuine complacency. "'You might have heard tell of it, belike.' "'It'd be happenin' before my recollection, sir, maybe,' said Dan, looking at him perplexedly, "'if twas apt to have been a longish while ago.' "'Twasn't long to say,' said the old man. He drank the spirits lingeringly in slow sips, and seemed to sit up straighter as he did so. Then he set down the empty mug on the table and said, "'Boy's wages!' But he had scarcely uttered the words when he perceived that he had thought aloud irrelevantly and made haste to cover the slip i'd better be getting on with meself he said rising thank you kindly that's an elegant fire you have he looked at it regretfully but turned resolutely towards the door still open and framing the broad dim whiteness out away to the bounding curtain of gloom it's a grand thing he said defiantly to have all the world before you the sediment was not accepted without qualification. "'That depends,' said old O'Byrne. "'Some whiles, I question, would you find anything in it better than a warm corner and a pipe of tobacco, if you tramped the whole of it, and you might happen a deal worse. What do you say, mother?' She was knocking ashes out of her pipe-bowl against the wall, and nodded in assent. "'It's no place for people that can keep shut of it,' she said. "'If you're near a chance of getting into it,' said Dan, "'I don't know what great good it does, you being there afore or behind. "'Or if you knew there was nothing left in it, you'd want to be going after,' said his great-aunt, half to herself. "'Well, whatever way you look at it,' said the strange old man, "'I've a notion I've a right to be getting something more out of it.' be now than boy's wages ay it's time i was boy's wages the lion spalpeen if you axed me sir said old o'burn i'd say twas time somebody else 
would be gettin' the wages. Isn't there any childer to be earnin' for you? Haven't you e'er a son that you need be trampin' the country that fashion, let alone talkin' about all the world, wild-like? I've a son, truth have, if that was all, said the old man, turning away angrily. Then it's that much better off than me you are. The only one I had he took and died on me himself and his poor wife a couple of days after him. God be good to them. When the lad there wasn't scarce the height of that stool and less the size on his brother. That's away now in the States getting all manner of a fine education. Very decent poor children they always was too, but it was a bad job. He might have done worse again you than that, said Christie Dermody, be the powers he might. He had retreated as far as the door, but now he faced round and stood on the edge of the thin snow, leaning his right shoulder against the post and looking in at the other old man by the fire. He might have fooled you for years and years and made a laughing stock of you with everybody about the place and me with ne'er a thought of any such a thing. He might so and bad luck to him foosterin' about and conceitin' to be doin' a fair day's work when he's the creep of a snail on him and the strength of a rat. That's what I heard Tim Riley sayin', and I'm goin' home on the Saturday night. But if I come creepin' after him, the young beast, he'd maybe had reason to remember it, at himself and the wife lettin' on there was nothin' like me, and he callin' me to come into his room. I heard him plain enough all the while, no fear, but I wouldn't be lettin' on. There's ne'er a hapworth ailin' him. Troth, he may call till he's choked afore ever I come next or nigh him, and sendin' the little girl slitherin' to say her daddy wanted me. I told her want might be his master. Sure they're all the one pack, and the widest width there is in this world I'll be keepin' between them and me. Shut of them I'll be for good and all, and I'll make me fortin' yet, and no thanks to him. What talk have they of old men, boys' wages? Good night to you all. To those in the room it seemed as if he dropped away back into the wan dusk behind him, and the next moment they saw him in motion a few paces distant, limping fast, and gesticulating as though he were still carrying on his monologue. That old creature's astray in his mind, I missed out, said old O'Byrne and I wouldn't wonder if he was after getting bad treatment among his own people. "'Goodness pity him,' said his sister Bridget. "'It's a cruel perishin' night, and snowin' thicker. "'Where will he get at at all, and carry a naught but an old stick? "'We'd better have kept him.' "'Sure we couldn't have stopped him anyhow,' said the blacksmith, "'no more than one of them flusterin' blasts goin' by. "'When a body's took up with unreasonable notions,' You might as well be hammering cold iron as offering to persuade him different, but he'll maybe turn in at the Gallagher's. They watched him until the dark imprints of his receding steps in a thin snow sheet could no longer be distinguished, and then Dan closed the door, shutting out the wide world and the fortune seeker. Things is queer and contrary, he said to himself. Some two hours afterwards, they were all sitting round the fire still. It was nearly nine o'clock, which is late in Lisconnel, but they found it hard to detach themselves from the cordial grasp of the warm glow. Bridget, however, had put by her needles and begun to tell her beads, 
when another knock broke in upon them. "'He's come back, belike,' said old O'Byrne. But when Dan opened the door, the person who stood there, though likewise tall and gaunt and ragged, had grizzled black hair, and was not more than middle-aged. His face was hollow-cheeked and drawn, and his eyes glittered while he shivered and panted. The night had grown wilder as the moon sank low, and the snow went past the door like rapid wafts of ghostly smoke. This newcomer stumbled into the room without ceremony, as if half-blinded, and said breathlessly, did any of yous be chance see an old man goin' this road to-day an old ancient man something lame be the name of christie darmody ay sure enough himself was in it not so long ago said old o'byrne if it hadn't been you twas very apt to have been him come back in the man's face one trouble seemed to be relieved by another at the tidings glory be to goodness then that i've heard tell of him at last he said but god help the creature what's to become of him streelin about this freezin night the snow's as dry as male dust perished he'll be och he's the terrible man to go do such a thing on us what way did he quit it's me old father sir that's over eighty years of age and is he after strayin away on you said old o'byrne following him since yesterday mornin i am said the other when it's in me bed i should be by rights for i'm that destroyed with the cold on me chest i've scarce a bit of breath in me body but sure what matter if i can come be the creature again is it that away he went did you notice you're bound to wait till the flurry of the wind's gone by said old o'byrne for his visitor pointed out into a shrieking whirl shrilling higher and fiercer sorra a minute you'd lose for you couldn't stir a step in that or see a stim sit you down a while what was it set him rovin did he say anything agin us anything of being treated bad well i wouldn't say he seemed altogether satisfied in himself said old o'byrne remembering his suspicions something he said of being made a fool of and told lies to and gettin boys wages said dan ay ay with us through that was the very notion he had goodness help us what will we do at all with him you see sir me father's a wonderful proud-minded man he is that and a great big man and as strong as ten he was until he got real old entirely so it's cruel bad he thinks of not being able for everything the way he used to be and he won't let on but he is be no manner of manes he won't deed no he says he's as good a man as ever he was in his life End of section six.